Welcome to Fashion Futurist Podcast. It's your host, Camila Sanders. And this season, we are discussing Africa. We're connecting with industry experts and individuals on the front lines to gain viable resources for your fashion journey. Together, we're working to take back fashion, shift power, shift economics, shift paradigms, and create a new sustainable ethical fashion system. Take a listen and let's accelerate fashion forward. So we are here with Takane. Thank you for coming on the show. We are talking about mass production and the environmental impact on the global south. And I'm super excited to have you here. Met you at the Lore webinar series. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I heard a little bit about some of your insights into what were we talking about? Digital fashion yeah. during that time, I'm sure. Or the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so so um, I know you do a lot of work within the Global South. You're very knowledgeable about it. And so excited to have you on to talk about this topic. Um, but first, could you introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm also uh, really excited to share my thoughts and uh you know, open discussions like this. So my name is Tagane. I'm born in Lesotho, which is a small country landlocked in South Africa. I'm also a quarter Spanish and a quarter English and sort of grew up moving around a lot with my family. I've have a background in fashion, been starting off in retail until also um, designing. So uh, I have my own brand as well, Takai, which uh, is for activewear. And at the moment, I'm pivoting in, in terms of the production methods. So instead of working with factories, focusing on having a network of tailors uh, out in Ghana to start off in Accra. So uh, yeah, it's been a very exciting change over the past couple of years. And uh, I think everything that's going on on the scene right now in fashion, the adoption of digital fashion, the advantages for efficiency and less waste. Um, so yeah, definitely excited uh, to uh, bring out an alternative to a wasteful system at the moment. Yeah. Wow. So how did you get into, or what did you first hear about like sustainable ethical fashion? It's, it's so funny to ask this question. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> Well, it's funny because it's kind of like, this is what we've been doing, but now it's like this term, right? So I guess first I should ask, what is your definition of sustainable ethical fashion? Well, I think the word sustainable can be interpreted maybe in a lot of ways. And I feel like the word ethical is something that we actually do all feel inside. And uh, when you're not practicing an ethical uh, standards, then it's really usually just for one goal, which is for profit. And think that the responsibility that we have towards our environment, as well as towards each other as human beings, really lies within that word ethical. And we have to sort of work that we're in synergy and not completely attacking the planet that we live on. Yeah. To answer also your first question, when I sort of first got into sustainable fashion, I think it's so I studied art in Barcelona, and I think I've always just been somebody who's a bit more on the side of alternative fashion and small designers. And it's also something which was uh, part of my upbringing. My mum would always make sure that, I'm, you know, I know what different materials are and really having that education and background and knowledge about where different fabrics come from and things like that has made it quite difficult for me 
to adopt really sort of a mass production or I mean we all like a high street from time to time but <laughs> I'm more excited about you know finding those unique items so yeah what within your business like what was that kind of pivotal moment where you decided to not use factories and get a network of tailors, like you mentioned. So I think one thing which I realized is that, um, well, first of all, my brand is an active where it was uh, production. So in my first collection, made in Bulgaria with premium Italian sportswear fabrics, poly spandex, which is not uh, of the recycled quality, but actually uh, the pure quality. So some people might have a question mark in their head right now. And I think durability, for example, is one way that we can really look for sustainability. So working with high quality fabrics goes a long way and also designing in a way which is more timeless. Of course, uh, COVID happened to all of us over the past uh, few years. And the idea to reinvest, obviously, the money that we were spending on social media marketing at the time and just the really high well, high investment that you'd have to make was something which I just thought was, this is not really the most sustainable way to be, to be doing things, right? So instead of having a high capital investment, which has to be sort of redone again and again in order for you to sell two thirds, it would be so much better to have clothing which you know is destined to go towards a person and which is actually made for that person's figure as well. So you've got that inclusivity aspect, you've not got that wasteful aspect of having to predict uh, how many items you should produce six months in advance or one year in advance, and you can react a lot quicker to uh, design decisions. I like it that you mentioned that because in your answer, you kind of gave all these different ways that a brand can be sustainable. Like it's not just using sustainable materials, but also using high quality materials so the clothing will last longer, but then also <laughs> making it fashionable so that people will actually like, oh, I really love, <laughs> you know, this garment, right? Because it looks good. It's going to last me longer. But then also you mentioned fit, right? Absolutely. Because we really, um, you know, if you think about your wardrobe, like you really only want to wear the things that fit and the things that don't really fit kind of just sit there. So in a sense, like all of those things are helping you to keep the garment longer. Yeah. And I think also, you know, we have those occasional pieces which we maybe don't wear as much, but which we really cherish. And I feel like when that has a story to it as well, I mean, I have a lot of pieces from my Spanish uh, grandma who was extremely stylish back in the day. So uh, I'm lucky that we're with the same size and sometimes that happens, you know, and I'm really proud of those garments as well and take care of them and repair them. Yeah, it's got like a history to it. It's something that you love. So you wouldn't necessarily like, okay, I'm not just going to take this, wear it and toss it, you know, because it's just this ingrained history of it. I think it's also really important to just focus on self-expression as well. I mean, I think we, we don't just have one style that we like to wear. I feel like the typical woman or guy doesn't just have like one style that they want to wear, but really, you know, switch it up. So of course it's tempting to, you know, stay on trend and really be up to the latest date and everything. But I think that we all know deep inside, going back to that word ethical, really what's, you know, right. Yeah. Oh, that's... <laughs> love that. That's a good point. It is about your own personal style. And even like you're talking about, you said a jacket, right? That your grandmother had? Yeah, no, uh, different things. I've got loads of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're wearing something because you feel good in it. You love it. 
And it doesn't matter like what the trend is right now. Like this is you, you know, like this is an expression of yourself and you're always going to stay the same at your core, Mm. you know? So that's a good point. Like getting pieces that are, you know, just you at your core that you're always going to want to wear and love and not necessarily be so trendy. Yeah. So let's talk about our topic, (laughs) which is uh, mass production. I mean, what you touched on really is talking about how can we kind of shift and get away from mass production. But first, what is mass production? And then how does it affect people in the global South? Yeah. Um, So there's a reason why factories nowadays are found sort of in developing countries or, you know, going back to maybe the 90s, 80s developing countries. And that's because obviously the currencies are lower and uh, it allows for you to produce goods more cheaply, which obviously in a capitalist system, you have a higher profit margin. So that works out good, right? However, we've grown to see definitely over the past sort of 15 years, especially, is a move into dangerous practices like not respecting human rights within these factories, using toxic chemicals and using and getting rid of those toxic chemicals for dyeing in the dyeing process really wastefully, all the way going back to farming and, you know, organic cotton farming or conventional cotton farming. And the patents on the uh, fertilizers and pesticides which are used within those farming methods, which isn't circular farming, so it does end up destroying the land, which requires you more fertilizer. So across the whole system, there's become more and more of a, well, of of a corruption, uh, as I suppose at the end of the day, of each of those places within the supply chain. So be that on an environmental level from dyeing the fabric, going back also to the farming of those fabrics, to the involvement with crude oil in terms of making synthetic fibers. So obviously that's all on the dark side. Uh, There is a positive side when it comes to textiles, which has been a lot of innovation definitely over the last years. We know about vegan uh, vegan leather, but I would prefer to focus more on uh, vegan pineapple leather or mushroom leather, these innovations, which are then also biodegradable. Mass production really also comes from, yeah, of course, increasing your, your profit margins, having things at a cheaper cost so that people, uh, you can really sell to more people. And then, of course... There are the issues which we hear about quite recently when it comes to copycats and designing designs straight from the runway or straight from upcoming designers. In a way, they can react very quickly because they have, you know, those millions that they can invest in a production run straight away. But at what cost? And that goes back to the humans and the labor and the fact that a lot of the time, the exploitative nature of those practices. It shows how... The fashion industry affects so many or is related to so many different or ingrained in so many different industries. Because you mentioned like agriculture, oil, like all of these different things. It's like the fashion industry is really ingrained. And so, you know, that shows how much of an impact if we start to have more sustainable practices and more ethical practices yeah. and th- how much of an impact you know culturally mm-hmm. fashion has sort of seen as a sort of a frivolous thing to engage in right but you look at the business and you look at the numbers and you look at the proportion that the textile industry has on effects on climate change it's not a frivolous matter so i think that's why it's one of the industries which has sort of had been the slowest to receive scrutiny in a sense 
Yeah, it's hard to define exactly what the impact is because it's so ingrained. So how does mass production affect the global South? One of the main ways, which I'll talk about and I'll touch on, is really the waste coming from manufacturers and also coming from this practice of mass production. So, you know, you're creating 10,000 garments and you're going to sell 3,000 of those garments at full price. You're going to sell another 2,000 at like, you know, a reduced price. And then the rest, because you paid them so cheaply anyway, the trends have moved on because you're involved with fast fashion, then you have to get rid of those somehow. So, one of the figures which I, you know, can pull out, for example, is that, you know, five million individual items of used clothing arrive in, for example, Ghana weekly. And then, of course, there's a reseller market over there. So this idea that we send our secondhand clothing to developing countries or the global south is, in a sense, this mindset of charity. But what we're actually sending out these days is of such poor quality because we insist on having such cheap production that it's not even usable. So you have women who carry these you know, tons of waste and they don't know what's in that waste and they have to purchase it at a wholesale price there from the shores and 40% of it they can't use. They have chiropractic problems because of actually physically carrying these massive bales. So I mean, the problems really sort of trickled down, starting from it just being waste coming from the North, the global North, mass consumption and mass production, down to physical complications and environmental complications on on a local level and on a personal level. Okay, so I want to ask a a follow-up question for that, right? Because when, because I'm in these talks a lot and sometimes people will say, well, it helps their economy to for them to be able to take these this clothing, even though a lot of it they can't use. Like, think about what you give to the thrift shop. Some of that stuff is is not even usable, right? But that's what goes over there, or even fast fashion clothing. Right. And so when that goes over there, they take those clothing and what is usable, and then they sell it at the market, right? And so how does that affect their economy? And if we somehow did not have that fashion waste go over there, how would that affect things? Or what are your what are your thoughts on that? I had the pleasure of uh, meeting the OR Foundation when I was in Ghana, and they do incredible work on really measuring the impact, not just in terms of uh, carbon footprint that the garments have actually traveled in order to reach those Ghanaian shores, but also on the local environmental impact and also on the economic side. So they've got some really great um, research about that. When it comes to the actual economy of it, well, what happens is that they're essentially caught in a loop, in a debt trap of these bales because what they purchase ends up not being enough for them to sell to justify that weight of what they received because 40% of it is not reusable. So it keeps them in a debt trap, which really cripples the local economies. Coming from this mindset of, oh, isn't it charitable? And, you know, when we look at the ethics of it, we wouldn't allow for that to happen in a city like New York City for, you know, Europe to come and dump, uh, what was it, 50,000 tons. Uh, Let me just get that right figure up. Uh, 13 million tons of textiles a year. So would we allow that to happen on our own doorsteps? No, we wouldn't. But again, that's the word ethical really coming into play. So. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, mass consumption, 
which is which is also an issue. And so how does mass production relate to mass consumption? Uh, well, it's just the cheapness of the goods, isn't it? Because, I mean, when you can buy something which is $10, you don't think about it. If it costs you $120 and it is for that special night or special occasion, then you might consider something which you'll know that you're going to be able to wear for a longer amount of time and th- treat your, I mean, it really comes from your mentality as well. So again, for me, I have the, the, the privilege that my mum could teach me about different fabrics and, you know, make me aware of, you know, what goes into, for example, when you're buying something which is wool and versus something which is acrylic, which is made of plastic and so on and so forth. So having that education and having that perspective, I think, is really important to sort of move away from mass consumption. And I do think that there's a massive culture for that in, you know, our Gen Z and to some extent also millennial uh, generations, big focus on environment, on stopping global warming, on participating in more sort of local economies as opposed to mass markets. So, yeah, I mean... I think there's a big potential for change. It's going to happen more in our minds because, of course, having the temptation of spending something, spending $10 for a dress, which is going to picture really, really well for your social media, it's an easy thing to buy into, definitely. And no judgment to anyone out there, right? Because, I mean, we've all been there. I'm not Ave Maria, uh, who's never been into sort of H&M or Zara. But again, it's it's really about that mindset of finding uh, items which you can cherish and which you'll look after. It's like you get that hit of dopamine, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you buy something like, oh, I have something new, I'm going to wear this. Yeah. It's important to, you know, to have fun and be able to express yourself, right? And I feel like in a lot of the African diaspora, it's completely normal that most people have like a tailor down the road or somebody that they know in the family who will help them sew outfits and reinvent their looks and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think actually... Having part of that in my culture makes me sometimes really question how or, or find it a little bit sad in a, in a sense how, you know, a lot of people don't have that. They've never done that before. You know, you've never really gone to a tailor and said, hey, I would love this made in this way. And you wear it super proudly. And, you know, you go to big events and everybody's wearing the same fabrics and you're more involved with your clothing and you have more of a relationship to it, which is really, really personal than when you're just buying something that like hundreds and thousands of other people have. Right. And then that makes it easy to throw it away, right? Because, oh, I just saw someone else wearing this. It's already, you know, in phrase because I watched it and it doesn't work. And I didn't really like it and it doesn't really fit anyway. You know, so it's so easy to just toss that out. And like you said, it's so cheap that it's like, you know, for example, when you get some coffee, it's the same price as that. So it's like, you know, and that's kind of a disposable thing. So why not? Um, And so you, you did mention like a lot of different solutions, right? About knowing your fabrics, like you mentioned wool and how that's a lot of better quality and understanding that also supporting your local economy, having a different mindset shift, like knowing like what's going on and why am I buying this? Why do I really need to buy this? And then also having the experience with a tailor of getting clothes that actually fit you Mm. and then also wearing clothes that you love that you'll keep longer, that mean more to you. What are some other solutions for mass production that you can think of? Yeah, Well, I mean, 
I think it's also probably naive to think that mass production can be completely replaced by, you know, individual tailors and things like this. I think it takes a long time and it's really about mass adoption as well as something that has to happen in order for us to really have that change. Um, one of the ways that we can still participate in global trends and, you know, have fun without having to actually damage the environment would be through things like digital fashion. And there's definitely a lot of movement in that space at the moment. We've seen big brands like Gucci, Louis Vuitton being involved in metaverse and gaming spaces. Uh, Also, of course, Kim Kardashian's Hollywood app, where she collaborated with Cavalli in 2019. So there have been actually quite a lot of milestones going back maybe over the past decade when it comes to fashion moving more and more into a digital space. And that really allows for even more you know, creativity or even more self-expression than you could think of with any fast fashion brand that you can copycat, you know, these designer dresses or something like this, right? Because you can wear, you know, fabrics that don't even exist or dimensions which wouldn't be physically possible. But you can also, in a real life use case, try on those clothing on a avatar of yours, a realistic lifelike avatar of yours, and even see, I mean, I think we can, we all react pretty quickly when we see that something just doesn't look right on us, right? But it's difficult to imagine when you're looking at a picture of a model. So actually eight out of 10 garments that get sent back in e-commerce are linked with, you know, size and fitting issues. So having an avatar, which is true to measure where the clothing is also pre-measured. So you know that, you know, just in terms of the dimensions, it just wouldn't drape like that on you or it wouldn't sit like that on you. Returns due to incorrect sizing in Europe alone is responsible for 8.4 billion euros every year. So that's a really, really big number. And it shows the trend towards the issues and the problems with mass production. So hopefully, yeah, a lot more adoption with digital fashion can uh, help us to buy the right clothes that will fit us right, that involve less carbon footprint for the clothing moving backwards and forwards, and also values designers that actually create clothing that fit. Okay, so I'll definitely have to do another episode where we dive into digital fashion and everything that you just said. What would you recommend for brands or any tips or resources for brands that want to be more sustainable and ethical in their own way and don't necessarily want to participate in mass production and want to produce things with a smaller footprint? Yeah, I think you have to really look at your customer base and the target audience that you've defined for yourself. The difficulty in pivoting when you've got an existing customer base who are used to cheap prices, low prices and, you know, um, trendy styles is that you are going to have to either re-educate that audience, uh, that target audience, or you're going to have to try and reach out to new communities. Analyzing your business model and who that who you're selling to, I think is is the first part is being honest with yourself, right? To really be able to identify those changes. There are opportunities out there, or rather there are tailors out there, you know, who can produce clothing, which would be unique uh, and so on. But it requires obviously more effort from the brand perspective in terms of then going and sourcing your fabrics, uh, speaking to these tailors. So uh, that's something which uh, I'm working on is an app to be able to facilitate that, uh, facilitate and find tailors across the world who can actually fulfill those orders on a smaller scale, but also on a made to measure business model. Of course, the dangers with that as well is 
made to order, made to measure. It's not something that you can just readily purchase. So it's not your order is not going to be there necessarily in two days. So again, that element of education for your target audience, I think is going to have to be really, really important and being completely honest with your target audience. It's not possible to, you know, change everything in a day. So I think even just being honest about small, meaningful actions, switching to recyclable packaging, trying to use as much as possible fabrics, which are biodegradable, which are gentle on the environment, trying to support local brands and really bring in that smaller carbon footprint. Those are all small, different ways that a brand could become more sustainable. I hear brands say this all the time, or people say this all the time, you cannot necessarily be 100% sustainable. And a lot of times consumers can, or your customers can say, oh, well, are you sustainable in all these different areas? But if you're a smaller brand, that's really hard to do, especially in the fashion industry where you have to look at sourcing and you have to have a viable business model too. So I love the recommendation of taking those small steps at a time and communicating with your customers. And it, it is just that one step at a time, yeah. finding things and like you did shifting your business model to, you know, maybe you're using factories, but now it's, you know, using local or tailors. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, again, customers who come in expecting, you know, all of those uh, different layers. So it's difficult when consumers come in expecting all of those boxes ticked, but then are not knowledgeable about how much things should actually cost. We've gotten so accustomed to not wanting to pay more than $20, $30, $50, $100. And of course, quality comes with a certain price as well. But it's really being aware of those things, I think, that plays into it. Yeah, it's funny because a long time ago, <laughs> I worked in retail, right? And my I can just vividly remember my assistant manager say that if people don't understand that if they just, instead of buying like 10 garments, just take that money that you would spend on these 10 garments that you're not going to wear anymore because it doesn't fit. It's bad quality. Take that money and buy something that you actually love that's going to fit. Yeah, And this is like, I, don't, I won't say how long ago, this was, but maybe like decades ago, I don't know. But it, I mean, it's so true. And this is before like people were talking about that much about sustainability, but it's true. So yeah, bring absolutely. Up a great point. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And, and also just uh, the fact of having that interaction. I think that I remember sort of at the rise of e-commerce that everyone was thinking, okay, but clothing, mm, I don't know, you kind of have to really feel the clothing. And yet we've seen, you know, e-commerce really works. People can make that, you know, emotional connection with the garment, even just seeing it on a screen. So imagine when you can also interact with that garment sort of within digital fashion and sort of try it on yourself before physically, you know, ordering it. It would probably help you to save those little pennies towards actually buying that garment if you really love it so much. So. So where can people connect with you and stay up to date on what you're doing? Because I'm really interested in that app too. <laughs> so, I mean, definitely. Um, I'm on, you know, most socials. I'm on Instagram under Takai.baz or Takai underscore studios. That's Takai with two eyes. And also on uh, LinkedIn. So uh, I'm definitely really excited to meet designers, also Anybody with your stories of your garments, your favorite pieces, why you certain, why you love certain things on uh, Takane Basil on, on LinkedIn. So yeah, no, I'm happy for anyone to reach out and uh, 
looking forward to um, deepening our conversation as well <laughs> on the innovation side. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us and all of your insights. Thank you so much for having me and uh, look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for listening to Fashion Futurist Podcast. Let's take back fashion together. Like, subscribe, and share as these small actions help to spread the word and make a collaborative impact. For more ways to get involved, join me, Camila Sanders, in the Fashion Futurist community by visiting fashionfuturist.io. Let's take action and accelerate fashion forward.